Well, good morning, Bethel. A, uh, a special good morning to you joining us from home, whether that's online or with Rogers TV. And I want to say good morning to our brothers and sisters that are out there in the Ag Hall at Bethel Southwest. I am so looking forward to the chance today to dive into God's Word together. And so would you bow your heads with me from your homes there in the Ag Hall and let us open our hearts to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, we are so grateful for this chance right now to unite together in worship and to come and hear from you. Would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you allow us to not only hear from you, but be transformed as we behold Jesus today. And so speak through me, Lord. May the words of my mouth and then the meditations of each of our hearts be found acceptable and be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our world is broken. Would you agree with that statement? I mean, in a lot of ways, that's probably a pretty hard statement to disagree with. We, we might come in today with different thoughts and reasons for what we think is the root of that or what we think is the solution to that, but I think it's almost indisputable to say our world is broken. We, we know our world is broken. I mean, we, we know the, the pain of sickness and pandemics and death in our very congregation, just in the last couple of weeks, we've had several folks walking through the grieving process of losing a very dear loved one. We know the pain of the brokenness of death. We've been tasting it. It's bitter. We know the brokenness of crazy climates. Have you heard that recently while we've been getting rain here in Ontario, that there has been blizzards pummeling Arizona and California? That's not the way it's supposed to be. We know the brokenness of betrayal. We know the brokenness of abuse and hatred and addictions and poverty, and politics, and greed. We know the brokenness of failed expectations. We know the world is broken. I, I think we'd all probably even admit that we are broken. We are not perfect. We don't have it all together. We don't have everything figured out. We walk through lives with limps, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. So here's the question I want us to consider together today. How do we live for God in our broken world? How do we follow Jesus when we are confronted face to face with brokenness? With brokenness out there in the world, but also in here coming up from within. In Romans chapter 8, grab your Bibles out and turn with me there, we see the third person of the Trinity come right to the forefront 
The Bible teaches us that there is one God, only one God, and our one God is three persons. The, the Trinity is maybe how you might have heard this described before. Our God is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And our text today in this chapter of Romans, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is brought right onto center stage for us to consider because the Spirit is our helper to live for God in our broken world. The Holy Spirit is our helper to live for God in our broken world. The Holy Spirit is God. He lives in every single follower of Jesus. And when I say that, I don't just mean the Holy Spirit lives in us just like God lives everywhere. God is everywhere because God is altogether present. He, there's nowhere you can go to be apart from God. No, no, there's something more to it than just that. In a, a profound way, the Holy Spirit when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, when we trust in Jesus and, and lay our lives down before him, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in, takes up residence in the life of each and every one who is a follower of Jesus. In a special and unique way, the Spirit makes his home in the lives of disciples of Christ. At the moment they put their faith he enters in and, and he, he works, he empowers, he guides, he convicts, and overall, he helps. And if you want to live in our broken world in a way that is following after God, is pleasing God, is living all that God intends for you to experience, you must live by the Spirit. And here in our text of Scripture, I want to show you three ways God tells us the Spirit of God helps us to live in our broken world. Three vital ways for, for encouragement for how you and I need to turn to the Holy Spirit in order to be helped to live in our broken world. Here's the first one. By the Spirit, we must put our flesh to death. God's word tells us, by the Spirit, we must put our flesh to death. It says in verse 12 of Romans chapter 8, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to that. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Last week we saw, when we were in the first bit of Romans chapter 8, two lives brought in front of us. One life is the life in the flesh, a life apart from Jesus. The other life is a life in the Spirit, a life of the one who follows after Jesus, who has Jesus living in them. And if you, if I, have, if, if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we have an obligation to live. We have a duty to follow. If you are a follower of Jesus, friend, you have a duty in your life, over your life. Verse 12 says, we have an obligation, but it is not 
to the sinful nature. You are, you are not obliged, you, do, you are not bound to the old way of living. You don't owe sin anything. You have died to sin. You have been raised to life. You do not owe sin anything. Sin, in fact, brother, sister, is killing you. On the contrary, here's your obligation. Here's the duty that you have today if you are a follower of Jesus. By the Spirit, verse 13 says, you are to put to death the misdeeds of the body. You are to put to death the misdeeds of the body. Let me ask you, how seriously do you take sin? How seriously do you take sin? How bad does sin seem to you? It says here, kill your sin. And that, I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty serious to me. That sounds pretty serious to me. Is that how serious and dangerous and weary of sin you are? Do you run the other direction When, when sin starts to come onto your TV screen, do you shut it off and you, I cannot be around this? Do you shout at your own soul when, when sinful thoughts and desires and, and temptations start to well up within you? Do you just bolt from spots where, where you can see sin starting to come into that particular situation? Or do you just dabble? Do, do you just sort of brush it aside? Do you minimize it down and say it's no big deal? Do you, do you get as close as you can without really going all that far and getting burned? I came across this story from a pastor who had recently moved to Houston, Texas a number of years ago to serve at a new church. Let me just read it for you here. Some weeks after he arrived, he had occasion to ride the bus from his home to the downtown area. And when he sat down, he discovered the driver had accidentally given him 10 cents too much change. As he considered what to do, there appeared, you know, two little angelic figures sitting on either shoulder, whispering instructions into his ears. One appeared and said, you better give the dime back. It, it would be wrong to keep it. Christ, well, he wouldn't keep it. On the other shoulder, a voice said, oh, oh, forget it. It's just 10 cents. Who would worry about 10 cents? Anyway, the bus company gets way too much fare anyway with their millions of dollars every day that come in with all the people that ride upon them accept it as a, just a little gift from God and keep quiet. When his stop came, the pastor paused momentarily at the front door and he handed the driver a dime and said, oh, here you go. You accidentally gave me too much change when I got on the bus. To which the driver replied, aren't you the new pastor in town? I, I was thinking about coming to your church, but I wanted to see what you would do if I gave you a little bit of extra change when you got on the bus. When the pastor stepped off the bus, he literally grabbed the nearest light pole, held on and said, Oh my God, I almost sold 
your son for 10 cents. Dear friends, brothers and sisters of Christ, our world around us is broken. We are confronted face to face every day with the brokenness. We ourselves are broken. How easy it is to believe the lie that it's not that big of a deal, that sin is not really that bad, that we don't need to take it that seriously. But God's word urges us here to not get numb, to not get complacent, to not minimize, but to put to death our sin. Why? I love the way John Owen, a, a pastor from several hundred years ago in England, puts it. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Sin will kill you, friend. Your life is at stake. That is why you need to put to death sin as it comes up. And, and, and our word, the Word of God tells us here to, to do this by turning to the Spirit of God. We need the Spirit of God to help us put to death our sinful nature. And when the world around you comes and the brokenness of our world confronts you or you start to feel temptation coming up inside, how do you put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit? Here's three things. You do, okay? Three simple steps for you to take. As quick as you realize that this is happening, as quick as you realize this is happening, here's what you need to do. First, number one, if you have stumbled, if you have fallen, if you have messed up, first, immediately confess it to God. God, I am sorry. I have sinned. I have indulged. I have said. I have done. I have looked. I have whatever. Would you forgive me? Second, ask the Spirit for help. Ask the Spirit for help. Perhaps even literally out loud, you want to say, Holy Spirit, I need you right now. I need you. I need your help. Fill me. Renew my mind. Take control of my life again. I need your help. Third, recite Scripture in your mind. Recite the Word of God in your mind. Ideally, from memory that is in your mind of verses you've memorized. Present to the Holy Spirit the Word of God to use to kill the sin that is in your flesh. If you don't have any verses memorized, find a Bible as quickly and as close as you can and read some of God's Word. But, but here, here, even better than that, Why don't you start today proactively by memorizing some verses? Maybe you're like, I don't know how to start doing that. I don't know what to do. Here's an app I would highly recommend for you. Get this, Google this, check it out. It's called Fighter Verses. Fighter Verses. It's a, it's a fantastic app that will help you begin to get one by one scripture memorized to fill your mind and give the Spirit of God 
the sword to use to fight and kill your sin. And so, first, as we are confronted and walk through this broken world by the Spirit of God, put to death your flesh. Here's the second thing we see come out of God's Word. By the Spirit of God, we cry out to God as adopted sons. We cry out to God as adopted sons. Verse 14, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him, that's by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit of God we see here is the Spirit of sonship, it says in verse 15. That word sonship, it's specifically referring to adoption. Adoption, being welcomed into the family by adoption. It's the same word that's used in Ephesians chapter 1 where it says, In love God predestined us to be adopted, same word, as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Now notice in both of these cases, both in Romans 8, our text here, and in that passage from Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about being adopted as sons. Now ladies, please don't don't take offense here. This is an offering open to all of us. This is open to, to male and female, men and women. But, but I, I don't want you to miss the point behind what he is saying when he says adopted as sons. Because that is specifically a reference in, in his day, when Paul was writing this, to a special spot of status and inheritance that that only the firstborn son in the family would have. The firstborn son had an incredibly treasured, totally unique, esteemed, elevated spot from everyone else in the family. And here, what we are seeing is the Spirit of God shows you, whether you're man or woman, that's not the point. He shows you that that you have, through Christ, an extra special, totally unique, extremely elevated and esteemed spot in the family of God. Whether you are male or female, in Christ you have the privileged position of being adopted and receiving the inheritance of the firstborn son. Verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So what this means then, dear friends, is that in the midst of the broken and in the midst of the messed up world that we are struggling and trying to walk through, we need not fear. Fear is cast aside because you can have confidence as an adopted child of God. Verse 15, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him the spirit 
we cry, Abba, Father. Friend, if you are in Jesus, you are a firstborn, adopted child of God, and you need not fear the future. You need not fear your eternal future. You need not fear death. You need not fear how things will work out next week or next month. You need not fear where tomorrow's provision will come from. You need not fear the brokenness that is right in front of you and feels like it's so big and there is just so overwhelming. There's no way to get beyond this or through this. You can cry out to God as his precious child. No fear, no holding back. Abba, Father, that term of such sweet personal connection, personal intimacy, personal relationship. God is not distant. He's not far off. He is not indifferent to what you, even right now, are going through. He loves you. You are his child. How do you know that? Because the Spirit of God says so. I, 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 how many remember or think of, can remember that little song that maybe you sang as a kid if you went to Sunday school? Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Daniel Wallace, an author, played, played on that a little bit and added this to it. I know I'm a child of God, not just because the Bible tells me so but because the Spirit convinces me so. I know I'm a child of God, not just because what the Bible says, but because the Spirit of God convinces me I'm a child of God. The Spirit turns fear aside and gives us confidence to run to the very feet of our Father. And as adopted children, the Spirit also supports us in our weakness. If you skip down a few verses on your page there to verse 26, it says in the same way, the Spirit helps in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with, with God's will. Sometimes we are like getting so hammered, so bombarded, so overwhelmed that it's like, I just, I don't even know where to go from here. I don't even know what to do next. I don't even know what to say to God right now. You ever found yourself in that spot? And it beautifully tells us here, the Spirit of God helps us in our weakness and steps in the gap to speak for us when we can't speak. A few weeks ago, you may recall, I was down in Kentucky for some schooling and chatting with a classmate and friend of mine at, that, at school, and, and he was telling me about the story of how he and his wife adopted their youngest daughter five years ago. They... they They had applied with Children's Aid Society in their home city to become foster parents. And they got a call six days after they got the approval to become foster parents from their children's aid worker. And says, there is a baby who we have just had to apprehend. She's in the hospital in 
critical condition. The, the story was absolutely like heart-wrenching and deplorable how badly this little baby had been hurt because of the neglect of parents who ended up in jail. And they called and said, would you consider fostering this little girl? And they said, well, we need to pray about it. Can we, can we pray about it for the night and then maybe come into the hospital tomorrow and just see her? And they said, sure. And so the next morning, my friend and his wife go into the hospital to visit and see this potential little girl that they might become foster parents for. And as, as my friend is standing there beside this baby in critical condition, a nurse walks in and says, are, are you the dad? And, and my friend says, well, no, no, I'm not, I'm not the dad. Well, I, 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 I might be the foster dad. I don't know. And then she grabs the file of the baby off the end of the bed and looks at it and says, is your name Brian? And he says, yes. And she says, well, then I need you to answer some questions for me because this baby is in critical condition and you are the one who's on my paper who needs to speak for her. I guess he was going to be foster dad. See, when that baby was in such vulnerable weakness that, it, that she could not speak for herself, an adoptive father stepped in to be the voice. When we find ourselves in the spot where because of our broken world, where so much weakness that we feel like we can't even keep going, I don't even know what to pray, here's the amazing thing that our text says. The Spirit of God steps in to speak for us. He intercedes for us, our text says right there. When the brokenness of our world hits us so hard and we don't know what to say, when we are too weary and overwhelmed by the fruit of this broken world and the poison of sin, take heart, dear friend, because the Spirit of God steps in to speak for you. And did you see how at the very end of verse 27 it says that he speaks in accordance with God's will? He always knows exactly what you need and he speaks exactly according to God's will as the Spirit of God steps in before God the Father to speak on your behalf. You are adopted as a firstborn son. Do not fear. Take heart, take comfort, take confidence, and know that in your weakness, He is here to carry you. Here's a final thought. If you're taking notes, jot these down. By the Spirit, we taste the first fruits of our resurrection. Verse 17, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. You have an inheritance if you are a follower of Jesus. You are going to inherit God's treasure. You're a child of God. You're an heir of God. In fact, you are co-heirs with Christ, which is mind-blowing to think. But, but the beauty of the gospel is that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, if you have already done this or if you do this even this very day, at the moment you put your faith in Jesus, you trust in him as your Lord and Savior and give your life to him, you are united as one with Jesus and all that Jesus has earned by his perfect life and death on the cross and resurrection is now yours. It's yours. You are co-heirs 
with Christ. And of the many things we will receive, one of the beautiful things of our inheritance is that you will be gloriously resurrected. You will be gloriously resurrected. You will be made new, perfect, and pure in every single way in a world that has no more brokenness. But between now and that day is suffering. Between now and that glorious day that is coming soon of our resurrection is our broken world, is the taint of sin and the pain of death and the outstretched tentacles of Satan. But listen to how Paul describes this suffering. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Not worth comparing. Now, can I, can I make a confession? There are a number of places in the scriptures where, like this verse, we see similar comments. Over in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, we, we can read about how um, there is this glorious hope of, that we celebrate in the gospel, but, but right now, he says there, we have been grieved by various trials for a little while. Or, or over in 2 Corinthians, it talks about how these light, momentary troubles afflict us. And I read these verses and, and part of me wants to just yell at the text and be like, they, this does not feel very light or very momentary. This does not feel like just, you know, a passing glance that is not even worth considering. This pain, this suffering, it feels deep, it feels heavy, it feels hard. I, I mean, even... When I think about our congregation here, I know in, in our midst collectively, we've got folks who right now are going through arduous battles with cancer and trying to push through the pain of chemotherapy. I know right now in our midst, we have folks who have been the victims of horrendous abuse, assault in their past. I know there are folks who are struggling with intense addictions. I know there are folks who are going through debilitating diseases with loved ones right around them going through that. I know there are folks carrying baggage of, of almost unspeakable betrayal. I know there are folks feeling trapped under the clouds of darkness who, who don't even feel like you've got words to express the depths of the loneliness you feel, who have this ache and hole inside of the loss of a loved one, and it just feels like the grief will not be quenched. And all of these things, and I could go on and on and on, and I, I would never do this, but beside every single one of those things I just said, that's not theoretical. I could literally give you a name or names from our midst right here who are going through all of those and so much more. And the pain doesn't feel light. It doesn't feel momentary. It doesn't feel like it's just a passing thing. It feels hard. It feels heavy. It feels wearying. 
feels huge. But can I say, dear friends, God here in our text is not just sort of brushing the depths of our pain aside, dismissing all of those feelings and aches and suffering. He's not just laissez-faire, I don't care about what you're going through. It's no big deal at all. God understands our pain more than even we ourselves could ever comprehend. I came across this quote from Beneath Arendal Risner that struck me so profoundly. Let me read this paragraph for you. Whatever you are dealing with, you can find your suffering in Christ. He knows what it is like to hunger and thirst, to endure sleepless nights and exhausting days, to experience agonizing pain, and to pour himself out for others who are hostile in return. His cousin was murdered. His family misunderstood him. His hometown rejected him. And he watched as a sword pierced the soul of his mother. People used Jesus, flattered Jesus, criticized him, lied about him, betrayed him, abandoned him, mocked him, humiliated him, him, whipped him, and watched him die an excruciating Jesus does not minimize our pain, dear friends. He took our pain. He carried our sorrows. He was broken for our sin. Our pain is deep and it is bad. But here, verse 18 is not saying Contrary to that, what it is saying is that the glory that is to come, the glorious resurrection that is going to be yours and mine if we are followers of Jesus, will so overshadow even the hardest thing that we will go through and the deepest pain we will ever suffer that it will be like nothing in comparison. The glory that is coming when Jesus comes and we are resurrected is just like, ah! Words don't even begin to scratch the surface. The creation, it says in verse 19, waits eagerly in expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Verse 21 says creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into glorious freedom of the children of God when Jesus comes. Verse 22 says it is groaning. I can't wait for this to come. And it's not just creation that is groaning and crying out. We too, verse 23, not not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So there is coming a day when we will one day taste no more sin, no more brokenness, no more pain, no more suffering, and for all of eternity we will live on in resurrected bodies. Oh, what a glorious day that is going to be. And today, This very day, the Spirit of God is the first fruit, the foretaste of 
that day. So this is not just a far off distant one day thing that we will experience. We taste it even here and now. If you are going to organize a banquet or a wedding and you have a caterer that you're potentially going to have feed the giant banquet, what do you do? You sit down with them and they give you little tastes of what is going to come and you get to savor them. And then you get to be like, oh, this is so good. I can't wait for my plate to overflow one day very soon at the banquet. The Spirit of God is that foretaste. Here and now, the Spirit is the presence of God in us. And He is the foretaste of being in God's presence in heaven forever. Here and now, the Spirit of God has caused us to be born again spiritually. And He is the foretaste of a coming resurrection where we will be entirely made new in a resurrected body. The Spirit of God here and now stirs a longing for purity. And He is like a foretaste of one day when we are going to live for all of eternity when all we want and desire is purity and holiness. The Spirit of God begins to chip away and transform us now. And He is the foretaste of the day when we will be made just like Jesus, transformed completely. The Spirit of God is eternal and everlasting God in us. And He is the foretaste of the day coming when we will live for eternity with God. The Spirit of God gives us glimpses and tastes of joy and love as a foretaste now. Wonderfully beautiful. But it will just be a glimpse of the day when you and I and all who are in Christ Jesus will be showered with an infinite overflowing waterfall of love and joy in the very presence of our God and King. We all live in a broken world. We know it. We come face to face with it every single day. But God, thank you. Praise the Lord. For He has not left us alone in this broken world, but He has given us a helper that we might live for Him each day our Helper, the Holy Spirit.